0: One small step for man. One giant please. For- Womankind.
1: Hello and welcome to Talking townswomen. For those of you who don't know about Townswomen's Guilds, we're a female membership organisation with groups known as Guilds across the United Kingdom. Townswomen's Guilds was established in 1929 and our ancestors were suffragists who fought to change the world for a better life for women. So we proudly still keep up the fight and campaign to help improve the lives of those women. Welcome to episode 13 of Talking Townswomen. I'm Penny Ryan, and today I'm joined by Beryl. Hello. Karen. Hello. And working her magic in the background, and maybe interjecting, is Helena. Today's episode is all about writing women into history. March is Women's History Month, and March the 8th is International Women's Day. Today we'll be discussing women who amaze or inspire us um, and those who deserve far more recognition for their feats. First of all, we'd just like to tell you about our plans for International Women's Day. Um, Sadly, COVID 19. Stopped us having our International Women's Day lunch this year, which is always a, a high point of our calendar. Um, and some of you will remember that we had a fascinating day in Portsmouth last year, hearing about the navy, uh, women in the navy over over time, and how women have become an integral part of the modern Royal Navy without. Any discrimination. Instead, we've done an online event um, and it stretched our day effectively for the whole month. Every day between March the eighth and March the twelfth, a new batch of interviews, talks, discussions will be released on our special International Women's Day pages. And those that have bought a pass for the event. We'll be able to access them for at least until the end of March. The talks include every member of the trustee board giving a brief talk about a person of interest as well. It's a remarkable compilation. Uh, We've got some really good stuff in there. And I do hope that you'll visit our online shop and buy yourself a pass um, then you can access all of them at your, at your leisure over the next month. The, sh- the webshop is on www.the-tg.com. And if you go to the What's Going On tab, drop-down menu, you'll find Writing Women into History, where you can get details of the main speakers and the program. You won't be able to access the talks themselves through that, but you can find out more about it. So, what we thought we'd do today to tie in with that is we we asked a number of people, uh, quite a number of people, to tell us about their inspiring people, and uh, it would be good to start off with. Uh, quite a personal one really it's this is my aunt I asked her um, who she thought was an inspiring or amazing woman and she apologized for her choice and said Margaret Thatcher because she broke new ground for women and much as some of us may not have agreed with all of her politics I voted for her at one time, and she was a groundbreaker. Meryl, is there somebody that, from these um, the information we've been sent that you, you'd you like to pick out particularly?
2: Um,
1: yes. Uh, Kathleen
2: Drew Baker was nominated by Pauline Watson. She'd heard that Kathleen is celebrated in Japan on April the 14th, for her work on the life cycle of a type of seaweed important to the Japanese diet. And I picked that one out because you may know that my background is in science. I trained to be a biology teacher many, many years ago and have always maintained an interest. And um, this was looking to develop ways of artificially seeding nori seaweed so that they could have the supplies of it they need because it's what you use when you make sushi which is wrapped in seaweed. And so she did a vast amount with this and it says that the seaweed industry of Japan named her Mother of the Sea and a Drew festival has been held in Uto, in japan on april the 14th since 1953 so this isn't um a recent piece of work this is quite an old piece of work and really at a time when you didn't hear about women scientists doing work in this sort of way and i found that absolutely fascinating
1: yeah i i did I did check out when when I heard about this one um, with a Japanese friend of mine, who's a member of my guild, and she was at great pains to point out that Kathleen Drew Baker is not widely known in Japan. Um, The seaweed industry is confined to one of the islands of Japan, and it's in that particular town that that she is remembered I guess you wouldn't remember somebody who made a difference to the alpaca population of the UK or something relatively minor no no like that but it's it's nice to know that and I understand she didn't even visit Japan will we have a brief biography of the people we're talking about available Yes, we can, and we can add them into the timeline at some point if we want to. Yes, we can have that available. Karen, is there one that
3: touches you personally here? Um, Well, I'm I'm going to choose one from Diana Thomas, who's a member of my um, ladies' choir, the Walpheruna Ladies' Choir in Wolverhampton. And I know she's a very well-known person that she's chosen, but... I'm I'm really pleased that Diana has has made the effort to nominate this person. So it's Rosa Parks, and she's put, um, Whenever I face prejudice in what is considered to be a more tolerant society, I take inspiration from Rosa, who stood her ground in times of segregation. I cannot imagine what that would have been like. She was arrested, lost her job, but continued to fight against segregation, To me, that showed strength, courage, and determination for the right to just be treated as a human being. Totally
1: agree. Very brave woman. Very brave, absolutely. And that that reminds me when I was thinking about inspiring women and amazing women, Michelle Obama came to mind. Um, Yes, she may have had a slightly, somewhat more privileged background than some people of colour but she was the first first lady of the US at a time when the country is still experiencing racial divisions, the US that is, and just thinking about how anxious she must have been about the safety of her husband and her family in those circumstances you know yeah. you, you think back to the assassination of john john f kennedy and there must always have been that niggle in the background of will it happen to us yeah. but she also made herself a role um, and is is i mean the work that she did when he, she came over here um, with her husband on official trips, working with one particular school in London, Marlborough School. Um, that has really provided a legacy at that school for girls knowing that they can achieve what they want to achieve.
2: Well, can I interject at that point and add, add another person? Yes, This is actually to do with it. This is one I would say who nobody will have heard of. She was Miss Dorothy Leslie, and she was my chemistry teacher at school. I found out that she had gained her degree at the University of London, which was the first university which admitted women to study. And uh, she was born in 1907, so she was she would have been in the university in quite an early position for a woman. Um, and she gained a chemistry degree and she began teaching at a time when, as a teacher, you if you married, you had to stop working. And she made the decision that she would teach rather than marry, which I think was a big sacrifice to make, in fact. But to me, she was a really good human being. She cared about all the children she taught. She was my form tutor and did something which was quite unheard of in those days. She read to us. We had a a time a week, a a lesson a week, which was tutor time. And she read of things like Wind in the Willows and Jane Eyre and introduced us to books like that. Um, She was a brilliant chemist, um, although she did have this difficulty that she didn't have a sense of smell, which for a chemistry teacher isn't always good. And there was an experiment we did where you use an alcohol as a coolant in a sort of perspiring way to cool a chemical. And she didn't smell it and neither did we. And somebody came in and there was a drowsy classroom of children and Miss Leslie um, because we hadn't got any windows open. But she was terrific. She never forgot people, you could meet her in the street 30 years after she taught you and she would remember you and remember what you'd gone on to do. She lived till she was 97 and in her early 90s she became a Samaritan and she learned how to use a computer and send emails Um, and she was awarded an MBE and I think it was very well deserved Uh, and she was an inspiration to me because I wanted to be a teacher but I wanted to be a teacher like her so sorry to interrupt with that one but
1: no and that that actually brings something else to mind about Kathleen Drew Baker um she married a lecturer she was working at Manchester University and I I can't remember the exact date of her marriage I think it was a about 29 but on marriage she had to stop working because married women were not accepted um, and they were so uh, it was a real problem for the university because her research was so important they couldn't break the rules but they had to to go to a length of employing her in a sort of subsidiary part of the university. It wasn't on the same payroll, as it were, um, so that she could continue her work as a researcher, often unpaid um, for a time. And, you know, it it seems almost unimaginable to us that... This is so recent that women were not allowed to work because they were married. Um, Quite mind-blowing in a way. Have we got another one here that we want? Um, Um, uh,
2: There was the chair of one of the Nottingham Guilds who was saying to me she was the first person in the country who, as a civil servant, was allowed to keep working after she was married. And she is in, I would say she's in her 80s. So again, you know, this is within a lifetime. And when I got my first job, I was told that I was not allowed to cohabit with my fiancé and have a teaching job. If I wanted to live with him, I had to marry him because they would not have teachers who were cohabiting. And this is the early 1970s. So, you know, when you think of that, it's amazing how far
1: we have moved. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Perhaps there's another one that we can pick out um, from the, the, the bits that we've been sent in now. Um, this is from Joan Norman, who is a dedicated townswoman who's done an awful lot of campaigning over the years. Um, She's especially in the field of funeral plans recently. This is something she's done of her own concern and is now being able to see some fruits as um, their emotions for the funeral plans to be regulated in future. She's talking here about her mother-in-law, Thurza Norman, who was a mother of five Uh, Thurza had a first thyroid operation in 1934 and then in 1950 needed one urgently but her heart failed during the operation so her chest was opened up and her heart massaged. The The thyroid operation was then delayed for four years to build her up again. The growth had by then strangled her windpipe, which collapsed, and a temporary tracheostomy tube inserted, which sadly ended up becoming permanent. She had a tube for day with a flap which opened and closed for speech and an open tube for night. She worked out herself that she could breathe better with the night tube, which was covered with a white gauze pad with ties around her neck. She'd pop her finger under the gauze to close the tube when speaking and also sterilise the tubes herself, once a district nurse had shown her how. She had a daily cocktail of drugs to replace all the thyroid, uh, all that the thyroid does for the body, and called it her staff of life. Her, Her husband, unfortunately, died a few days after... He retired, giving another major shock, but she was a determined lady. She travelled regularly from her home in Cardiff to Bristol, where Joan was living with her young family, helping out with childcare and cooking and cleaning. In fact, Joan was saying that the midwife who attended The home birth of the third son was more interested in her mother-in-law than she was in her or the baby. She apparently said, I've delivered hundreds of babies but never seen anything like this. You do realise that she's a miracle. She lived uncomplainingly with the tracheostomy for 13 years until she was knocked down by a motorcyclist of... she got off the bus on her way to the Whist Club. She, after that she went to live with Joan's sister-in-law and help with her sons. Um, but her health was gradually deteriorating. But it's it, you know it's amazing the sort of things that people can do and manage in extreme circumstances. Living with long-term illness. Is a major challenge for people, isn't it? It, You know, you can't, until you live with something, you can't realise what impact something will have on your life, let alone something as visible and as intrusive as a a tracheostomy. And at that time as well, when medicine wasn't as advanced as it is now.
2: And to do this herself, I, I just find that quite amazing.
1: On the theme of, of medicine, Karen, would you like to tell us about Pat Hyde,
3: one of your ladies? Well, Pat Hyde is a member of... Well, it's, it's I don't conduct this choir. It's the choir I play the piano for. It's one of the Ellen Vale singers who were based in Lower Gornland, Dudley. And she's nominated Nurse Hyde, who is a relative of hers, who served the district of Lower Gornal, as a midwife for 40 years. Nurse Hyde was born on the 25th of November 1905. She was my father's cousin and lived in Robert Street, Lower Gornal, a quiet, gentle and unassuming woman. Nurse Hyde never married and was totally dedicated to bringing new life into the world. She could be seen on her way to her next confinement dressed in a navy blue fitted coat and carrying her bag. She worked at the time when most women had home births and whatever time of day or night and whatever the weather she walked up and down the hills of Gornal and there are a lot of hills in Gornal to her next patient, often calling on one of her sisters on the way to beg for bed linen and towels if she knew the family she was attending had very little. Before starting the delivery, Nurse Hyde would kneel at the bedside and say a prayer. After retirement, Nurse Hyde could be seen at the church Christmas and summer fairs. She would arrive at the end of the afternoon and buy items remaining on the stalls to give to anyone in need. She spent her retirement years taking in and looking after stray cats and kittens. Sadly, Nurse Hyde suffered from dementia and died in January 1991 at the age of 85 years. She is buried in St. James the Great Churchyard and the inscription on her grave reads, in loving memory of Ethel Mary Hyde, died 19th of January 1991, aged 85 years, in heavenly love-abiding district midwife in Lower Gornal for 40 years. That's
1: quite something these days to have somebody working in the same area, in the same job for for such a long period yeah. and clearly devoted to the people she served. Yeah. It, it bears in mind that the mention there of um, collecting bed linen and uh, towels from Sister for somebody in need. Chris Hyatt from Cheltenham has recorded a short slot for us about Winifred Foley. Now some of you may never have heard of Winifred Foley but if I say a child in the forest um, it may ring some bells. Winifred was born in Gloucestershire and lived her life in Gloucestershire.
4: Let's hear from
1: Chris all about Winifred.
4: I am Chris Hyatt from Cheltenham and I would like to recommend Winifred Foley She is the woman who put The Forest of Dean on the map. Winifred's honest depiction of growing up in poverty in the forest was originally published in 1974 as a child in the forest, when the author was 69. Now renamed Full Hearts and Empty Bellies, a 1920s childhood from the Forest of Dean to the streets of London. It is still as raw as it was when it was first printed. The author who spoke with a broad forest accent spent her later years living in Cheltenham before her death at the age of 94. She actually attended Pitbull Townswomen's Guild meeting. She was a very absorbing speaker and we were very proud of her. Thank you. That, That was
1: really lovely to hear about Winifred again. I remember hearing about her sometime, it must have been in the 70s, when she appeared on Radio 4 fairly frequently. Um, and the voice was so soothing and so interesting to hear. It it was sort of like bringing Laurie Lee up to date, um, but with more of the dust and sawdust, as it were. Barbara Hyde from Sedgley has nominated... Mother Teresa a lady that must be remembered in history. And coincidentally, the same person was nominated by Pat Atkinson in one of our recorded talks for International Women's Day. Mother Teresa was born in Skopje in 1910. Um, she founded an order of missionaries dedicated to helping the poor. She dedicated her life to caring for the sick and poor in Calcutta, as it was then, and the Bengal area. She established a leper colony, a nursing home, and a family clinic. She had her critics, but her aim in life was to help those who couldn't help themselves. Um, a big inspiration, especially now. It It's it was interesting hearing pat talk about the fact that mother teresa died the day after i believe um princess diana and the indians were outraged that mother um princess diana was being compared to mother teresa that they said that there is There is no comparison. But Mother Teresa did a great deal to ease people's suffering. Um, And her message was, love them. And love is at the root of everything as far as she was concerned. Somebody else going to pick one? Talking about
2: that penny, it brought to mind another one who has been nominated by Helen Thompson from Sedgley Evening Guild. And this is her maternal grandmother, Marie-Louise Cook. And Helen says that Marie-Louise gave up her home country in 1940 to ensure that the family was safe. She lost everything and watched her eldest two sons go to war for Britain. They both returned. Not once was she downhearted about it, nor did she complain. She was from Liège in Belgium, where her family lived for 200 years. And again, you know, that that's quite a thing, to give up everything and and leave somewhere with nothing to protect your family.
1: And I guess that sort of sacrifice is something that women have been doing throughout the centuries and have not received recognition for it. Um, you've only got to think about poor Anna Cleves, who married or was married to Henry VIII, I can't remember which wife she was, about number three, possibly, and that marriage was ill-fated, uh, it, it just was never going to work, not helped by a, a really bad miniature. that, effectively, if we'd had a Trade Descriptions Act under Henry VIII, I think he would have been taking um, action against the artist. But women giving up their homeland to to take on something for their husband for for the state even had been unrecognized. Uh, there's another lady we heard about, um, a lady called was called Anne Bailey, who was the aunt of Joan Beach. She she was born in 1890 in Oldbury, Worcestershire. And she selflessly looked after her seven siblings and father when her mother tragically died young. She had an amazing capacity for love and kindness. All her siblings' children were treated as her own. She taught them by example how to love, care, share and behave. She gave everything in deeds. She devoted her entire life for others. And we were proud proud to call her our grandmother she inspired us all an ordinary woman who was really extraordinary and that's what we need to be doing you know recognizing the ordinary women who are actually extraordinary as well I mean, there's so many ordinary men in history books let's face it We need a few more women remembered what they've done. Those caring roles that act as the foundation for society. We could talk forever about fractured society these days and the need for uh, external carers. In fact, COVID has shown us how important family is through not being able to access it a lot of the time. Uh, And those that have family around them are very fortunate. But let's let's not forget that women have made enormous inroads over the last 120 years. Um, We've established a much larger role for ourselves in society. But even before that, ladies like... Josephine Butler, who Chris will tell us about, were also extremely important, but hers was an extension of a caring role
4: into public society. I would like to recommend Josephine Butler. A social reformer and feminist, Josephine Butler was hailed by Millicent Fawcett as the most distinguished English woman of the 19th century. Josephine arrived in Cheltenham when her husband took up a role at Cheltenham College, a campaigner for the rights of women and a staunch opponent of child trafficking and prostitution. Josephine opened her home to women in need of often sex workers following the tragic death of her daughter Eva, who fell from the landing in their home. Josephine focused her efforts on helping others and campaigned for changes in law to support women. This included fighting to repeal the Contagious Diseases Act and raising the age of consent from 13 to 15. Thank you. I think the range of work that she was involved with was
1: quite amazing. I was really fascinated to learn that at one time Women living within six miles of a naval dockyard could be stopped in the streets and have their virginity tested um, by male police surgeons. And it was Josephine's ardent campaign that actually put a stop to that. You can read more about Josephine through our timeline on in the writing women into history part of our website. Let's think about younger people for a moment. Who, who are the role models for younger women these days? Karen, your daughter gave us
3: something, didn't she? Yeah, well, my daughter knew that that TG were, had, had a campaign for climate action at the moment. And when I asked her, if she could tell me an inspirational woman, she said. I thought you were doing climate action. <laughs> I said, "Oh, we're doing both." And she said, "Well, I'll, I'll think of somebody who's who's put the two together." So she chose. Now she's she's my daughter is uh, studying fashion and textiles at college, and she's going on to do that at university later this year. So she's t- chosen the designer Stella McCartney because, she says, she's always finding ways in her fashion designs to be kind to the environment and have an effect on global warming. She makes use of such things as re-engineered cashmere and fur-free fur while trying to reduce the use of metal consumption in her designs. My daughter finds the designs inspirational because she loves her couture outfits with the silhouettes, the colours and the fabrics used. And there are a number of other designers she really likes, but she especially picked Stella McCartney because of the the environmental considerations in her designs.
2: Did anybody see Jane Fonda at the Golden Globe Awards? She was wearing a white suit, and this white suit is 25 years old. Now, part of me hated her because she could fit into something that was 25 years old. Mm. But in 1991, she made a pledge not to buy any new clothes. And she has just revamped her wardrobe, which must have been quite considerable to to be able to keep doing this and just make slight changes to her outfits, but is still wearing the same clothes and not buying new
1: ones. I think uh, I contemplated picking up um, Jane Fonda as an inspirational woman as well because she she got herself into one heck of a problem um, in her younger days by supporting anti-war demonstrations, didn't she? Um, but she had courage of her convictions um, and I think that's been recognised. But I also admire her for continuing to promote... Face creams at what I think she must be in a, nearly 80, if not not older. I don't know, but you, you know, you see her on screen as she is. Um, it's, it's quite amazing, quite amazing. Very brave lady. And there there are so many. Look at our queen, yes, she has a very privileged life. Some may not agree with the monarchy, um, but at 95. She is still dealing with her red boxes. She still pays them due attention. She doesn't rubber stamp things. We may not always agree with what the royal family do, but she has been a figurehead for the nation and something for older generations to aspire to. Uh, I had great privilege of meeting her mother at one stage and uh, attending... Her mother's hundredth birthday party in Horse Guards Parade, and there was something about the Queen Mother that that the Queen has inherited, um, something that shines through uh, her personality, and I found that when I was talking uh, when we were talking to Mary Peters as well, and I really urge you to enjoy the talk. <laughs> From Mary um, as part of our programme. Some, somehow she's one of those ladies that the light shines out of. One of our trustees' granddaughters, um, Imogen Watkins, Watkins, has recorded a little bit for us about two lawyers that have inspired her. Baroness Hale who's one of our honorary members, and Alexandra Wilson. Let's hear from Imogen now.
0: Hello, I'm Imogen Watkins. I'm 20 years old and I'm a law student at the University of Bristol. On this International Women's Day, I would like to take the time to recognise two incredible women in law. Firstly, I recognise Lady Hale. As an aspiring barrister, Brenda Hale is of immense inspiration to me, not only for her incredible articulacy and the judgments I'm fortunate to read, but also because she strives for equality at the bar and in everyday life, her motto "Omnia femine Aquisime, women are equal to everything, which she created upon appointment as a law lord, as so the very heart of everything feminism and International Women's Day stand for. As the first woman appointed to the law lords and most recently a president of the UK Supreme Court, Lady Hale represents everything young women in law hope to be. She was one of only six women in her law school at Cambridge and graduated at the top of her class. Whilst at the Law Commission, she was a driving force in making the law more egalitarian, especially in relation to divorce and domestic violence. But throughout her career, she has continually championed women's rights, echoing such sentiment in her judgments, but also in the speeches she has delivered about diversity at the bar and in the judiciary. Her career embodies the notion that young girls, young women, and all women, can strive for greatness, and that's something I wholeheartedly aspire to. I would also like to recognise another brilliant woman in law, Alexandra Wilson, someone whose book, in black and white, a young barrister's story, I was fortunate to review for my university. Wilson's journey into law began and was inspired by the tragic death of her close friend, who was targeted because of his race. Alexandra wanted to find answers. She wanted to know why her friend had been targeted and wanted to make a difference from within, pursuing a career in law and being called as a barrister. Watson has highlighted significant issues in the law, from diversity at the bar to young children being stuck in an underfunded justice system that seems out to get them. She recently appeared in wig and Gown on the CBB's television programme, What's On Your Head, which explores and celebrates different jobs and cultures around the world, explaining to children what barristers do and serving as a role model to them. She's an inspiration, and her book, which I would thoroughly recommend, demonstrates the work she is doing and the work those in the justice system must do to become an institution reflective of the public it seeks to protect.
1: So how are we going to help today's women get into the history books? I think one of the ways is to encourage women to go into the STEM careers, isn't it, Beryl, um, to, to look at seriously at working in science, technology, engineering and mathematics
4: yes, i
2: think so yeah and there is something called the ada lovelace foundation and there is ada lovelace day which is being celebrated soon which is all about that um and on facebook there is a group called the i think it's the mighty girl and they post frequently about women who have done special things and I I always try to forward that and share it because I think we all have a responsibility to, to try and do something and certainly the booklet that we have available for members to print from the website about the women we have nominated, perhaps they could give a copy to a local women's history group, a local history group, the library even send it into the secondary school to the history teachers. And I think TG have a role to play in this Mm. to keep promoting the role of women and the importance of women
3: in society. Um, The local history society, essentially, um, last year they were struggling to keep, before, before, probably the year before then, before COVID, they were struggling to keep um going because there was no one to book speakers and so myself and elaine who is also a sedgly tg member between us said we would book speakers and so we got them all set up for last year but obviously they haven't happened but anyway but we were told but we had to discuss this with with the man who, who was doing the job you've got to have i think it was one woman speaker in the year. <laughs> so we took that to be <laughs> like a red drag to a ball at least <laughs> as equal numbers. Which we had achieved, but it it didn't go ahead. But we're hoping to roll it forward. But well that's that's and that was you know, uh, and obviously advanced from how they'd started. So, well, it was men who did start the society a few years ago, I suppose. But that's one mm. way we can we can make sure women are remembered. And as Beryl said, that it's, it's a mighty girl, and there's lots of other uh, social media pages that do regularly are just concerned with women's history, and it is good to share share them and and make others aware of them it is a good media to do that yeah and it's
1: it's actually recognizing women while they are active as well um so nominating people for honors is a good way of Uh, getting people noticed. They have increased the proportion of women in the honours list, but it is not equal um, at the moment. It needs to be uh, improved, whether it's for a British Empire medal or an MBE. There are forms to be filled in, but you can nominate through, um, if you go to www wgovernoruk forward slash honours. Um, It takes you through the process there. And I think we should be recognising the ordinary that has been done to an extraordinary extent because so many people just think that what they are doing is... It's just what everybody does, isn't it? But they are doing so much more. Um, I I have fond memories of a lady um, who was in her 90s and served her community in uh, Surrey. Local councillor, still very active, and... Once a month, on a Sunday, she would go and make tea for the old ladies in Abbeyfield, um, which was a retirement home. She was older than most of her old dears. But you just wouldn't know it from talking to her. She was she was a live wire. She really was. But you don't have to be be doing something like that and the the honor system has been discredited by some but it is still one of the easiest ways to recognize people within TG we have two awards we have Townswoman of the Year and our ABC award the ABC is above and beyond the call of duty and we're looking there for women who outside their TG Activities are doing a huge amount, doing doing amazing things in their communities. We, with the Townswoman of Year, that's the award that we give to a lady who has done a lot to promote townswomen in one form or another. And um, it was an award that we were very pleased to be able to give to Karen a few years ago. So. Um, these things matter. It's important that we recognise people, not not necessarily on a national scale, but to recognise people in our lives. Just saying thank you to somebody um, who has made a difference to the local community is so important. Is there any other way that we should be helping young young women to achieve the success they want in life? Uh,
2: Something I do, which I have mentioned before, is I work with Trent University in Nottingham, supporting younger people. I work as a mentor to help female students um, and also help with doing mock interviews so students can make the best of themselves at interviews. And I think if you get an opportunity to help younger people like that, you benefit so much from it yourself. Um, I have been stopped on the tram by a young lady saying, oh, you helped me with an interview, uh, practice an interview. And um, I've just recently been for two interviews and I got a job. And that just made me feel that what I was doing was totally worthwhile. And I know I'm old. I acknowledge that. But I do think that I get on quite well with the young generation. That sort of gap seems to work. Um, and mm-hmm. I would urge anybody yeah. who gets the opportunity to work with young people to do it. You gain
1: so much yourself. I feel very strongly that we need to be helping women to have confidence in themselves. I mean, we're our own worst critics at times, aren't we, all of us? Um yeah. Do you remember when assertiveness first came onto the horizon, and and we were yes. we were being taught how to be assertive but retain our femininity? It, things have moved on a bit since then, but we need to teach young people to be resilient, to be patient, to be persistent, and. Um, not give up too easily. But we also need to teach them to fa- how to deal with failure because yeah. failure is the biggest learning opportunity that we all have in life. We all make mistakes. Yeah. Um, but And we shouldn't really, well, aspire to perfection, yes, but accept that perfection is is not really... Something that we can ever achieve. We can always be better at something, um, and good enough is important too. But somehow we've got to get that message across, and we've got to get it across to ourselves. Even if we're eighty-five or ninety now, there's no good beating us up ourselves up because we didn't get a first-class degree. Um, you know, what, what difference would that have made to your life in reality? You, you've achieved your life. You've achieved however many years you've lived. Hopefully you've made an impression on somebody else's life in a positive way. But it's recognising all of those positive bits that make the difference. And, of course, we should be encouraging women to go into politics as well. Um, and I totally admire yes. the workforce society um, on on that side of things. But um, we our voices are important, and they must be heard. Absolutely
2: agree with you, Penny. And I think TG, belonging to TG, we're already doing that. So we're already trying to do our bit, and we need to encourage other women to join TG, so we can join all our voices together.
1: So, yes. There is, there is strength in numbers. After all, I think in the general population, there are more women than men, but you there wouldn't are. know it, would you? No, no. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. We've hoped you've enjoyed the episode and that it's made you think about who you are inspired by and find amazing. And if they are still alive, you let them know. I think that's important too. We're still open to finding out who your, your special ladies are. You can tweet us. You can send us a Facebook message. You can write to us at, our, at TGHQ. We hope that you're all keeping well and that you're looking after one another at this time. But until next time, we'd like to encourage you to give a review of our podcast um, via your podcast provider. Uh, We're we're aspiring for a five-star rating, but um, honesty is the best policy sometimes. As always, if you'd like to find out more about TG, visit our website, and I'll say again, www.the-tg.com. And you can get in touch through our Facebook page, Talking Townswomen Podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening to us. And we'll see you on the next episode of Talking Townswomen. So it's goodbye from me and goodbye from the rest of today's guests.
3: Bye. Bye. -bye.